turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have one of the one of the handouts, I hope you did. You'll see some of the things that we'll be covering today, but uh, uh, turn in your Bible. We're going to primarily stay in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and let's start with verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. I grew up watching Underdog. Uh, he was humble and lovable shoeshine boy, but if ever there was trouble, he would he would jump into a phone booth. Now, I know there's a lot of you young people here who don't know who Underdog is, number one, and you don't even know what a, a phone booth is, number two. But he would jump into a phone booth, and he became he became Underdog. He was always fighting the mad scientist Simon Simon Bar Sinister and the wolf gangster Riff Raff. And just when you thought nothing could be done, Underdog would break through and, and save the day. He was always speaking in rhyme. He was speaking in rhyme all of the time. Did you like that? That was good. Yeah. And when Polly, he, he said, when Polly's in trouble, I'm not slow for it's hip, 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 and away I go. And, of course, his famous line, the famous underdog, underdog line, there's, there's no need to fear. Say it with me. Underdog is here. Yeah. We all know that one. Yeah. I saw some similarities with David and underdog. I'm not reducing David to a cartoon character, just the opposite. There's a lot of heroes based on the life of David. David spoke in poetic verse just like Underdog did. Underdog was a rhymer, wasn't he? But David was the first one, wasn't he? Just just read some of the Psalms. I love the story of David and Goliath. It's that classic Underdog story where you've got the little guy versus the big guy, don't we? And we all understand that story. We all understand that scenario, that metaphor, that analogy, however you want to say it. We all understand that. David was just a humble uh, and lovable shepherd boy. Not a shoeshine boy, but he was a shepherd boy. He was facing the Philistine giant Goliath. And we know the story about David, how he, he takes his, his, his staff and his, his sling and he goes down to the creek or the brook and he gets five smooth stones and he he takes those stones out there and and Goliath he he fusses at he fusses at David he fusses at the he'd been fussing at the Philistines for so long but but notice what David told Saul moreover David said the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine and he tells the Philistine basically the same thing I'm going to cut your head off today and uh, will the birds of the air and the beasts of the field will feed on the carcasses of your buddies who run away. I mean, he throws it right back at Goliath. And he does. He takes that sling and he slings it around. He puts a stone in there and slings it around. And that rock comes out. That smooth stone comes out hits Goliath right in the forehead. And Goliath falls. David takes the sword out and cuts Goliath's 
head off. David gets the girl, just like just like underdog would do. He gets Polly, you know. He always got Polly the poodle. David gets the girl. Later on, he gets uh, Michal, Saul's daughter, in the next chapter, chapter eighteen, to be his wife. David takes out the bad guy when 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 there seems like nothing can be done. Just like underdog, David walks in, saves the day. I think that's a different cartoon in it. Here I come to save the day. That's, the, that's a different cartoon. David takes out the bad guy. David was, was a hero, wasn't he? David was a hero. David won. But was David an underdog? Was David an underdog? No, says Mal- Malcolm Gladwell, writer of the bestseller David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. Uh, this book explores the advantages of being disadvantaged, if that makes sense, and uh, and the, the disadvantages of seeming advantages. Both are often underestimated, Mr. Gladwell writes. Uh, David and Goliath has, since the time of David, been used as a metaphor for the weaker versus the stronger. In 21st century America, we understand this metaphor. We've seen the might of the U.S. war machine at times being beaten by the small guerrilla forces in Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan. We know the story of the little guy versus big business or, or big government. We know the we we we've seen in Portland that, that little guy versus the big guy, that, that, that little guy versus the tank. We've seen that here in Portland. You know, when, when Portland football was redistricted and we had to play those bigger teams every week, it's a Goliath and David moment, isn't it? And if Portland ever won, it would be great, wouldn't it? Because they really would be beating the odds, it seems like. We understand this, this story. It, but when we get to David and Goliath, is it a good metaphor? Is it a good metaphor? Was David really the underdog in this fight? Mr. Gladwell makes some great thought-provoking points, but at the end, he misses the huge, big, major point entirely. He misses the point entirely. I want to tell you four reasons why David was no underdog and why Goliath, he really had no chance. First, David knew his, his armaments David carried a staff, a sling, and stones. Uh, David's uh, sling, uh, as you can see here, this is an authentic sling from over in the Middle East, a woven fabric fiber sling. It was able to throw and uh, throw rocks. I, I, I'm not going to throw it out like I did in class today, but it would throw rocks as big as a tennis ball. In fact, an archaeologist, they found all around different ruins, sling stones as big as cue balls or, or tennis balls. This was the type of ball that hit, or the type of stone that hit David. I mean, it hit Goliath in the head. Um, David knew his, his armaments. David knew his armaments. Uh, when uh, somebody, y'all, I think somebody of you made, it, made this in class. This is yours, Callie. I've got yours. Remember, I've got yours, okay? I think y'all made these in class today, didn't you? Did some of you make these in class today? I had one of these when I was young. Uh, I bought it at Elmore's, but it was plastic. It was a red plastic one. Y'all remember? You ever have a red plastic one? Do you remember it? They were 
Elmore, which was like the Kmart or the Walmart. They didn't have Kmarts and Walmarts back when I was little. You know, how did you live? Some people say, but we did. We did fine. And and we I begged my mama all the time for one of these. They were easy to break because it was plastic, you know. And, and I would pull those back. And I got real accurate with with these. I got really accurate with these. So accurate that my sister kept following me around all the time, and she wouldn't leave me alone all the time. And so I turned that thing on her, and it hit her. I saw it, you know. I saw it. You know, it's one of those moments you wish you could take back, but there's no way you could take it back. That rock was. I saw the rock. That was the last one that was ever bought me for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, also, I, I have bad things with it. My, my uncle built me a rock gun. You can get a, an old broomstick and you can cut out the inside part of the tire. You can stretch it down, affix a, 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 some kind of a clip on the end right here, and you can use it as a rock gun. Well, I was told when I was made, don't point this anybody, Will. What did I do the first thing? Pointed at somebody, shot somebody. And it was taken away from me as well. So I don't need firearms. But, but this, this, this is... This is this is, uh, this is just a toy. What we see even today in Afghanistan and Iraq, these young boys, these shepherd boys, Eddie, uh, Eddie Perdue and I were watching the YouTube videos. I was doing some research on this. You can go on YouTube and watch uh, slingers today doing competitions, slinging those stones, and those stones are huge. And they can whip them and whip them so hard and so far. David knew his weapon. David knew his armament. David knew what his weapon could do. He knew his armaments. And David also knew his abilities. He knew his abilities. Um, David had used uh, this sling against a lion, and he had used this sling against a bear. And he had, he had won. You know, uh, this, this sling, it had a 200-yard range at close range between me and you, Tim. This, this sling was about the caliber of a 45 caliber handgun. I mean, it, had, it packed a punch. It packed a punch. It could kill a lion at up close range. It could kill a bear at up close range. And David, he, he knew his ability. Uh, you remember back in the Judges, Judges 20, verse 16, back in the Judges, the Benjamites, they were sling experts. It says of them, among all this people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. In other words, they could put a hair upon a wall and sling their stone and hit that hair. That's how good they were. David knew his armament. He knew his ability. Uh, David was a shepherd. Uh, many of God's leadership choices, it's interesting, have been shepherds, have they not? A- Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Amos. Metaphorically, it's used of, of the, the, to describe the highest office in the church. Our shepherds. Being a shepherd means you love and fearlessly protect the flock without regard for self. It's a, it's a denial of self to be a shepherd. David put his life in front of a lamb or a sheep to fight a a lion or a bear. How much more should we give up our lives for the good of each other? In verse 38, David knew he didn't need that armor. He knew he didn't need the armor. It would hamper his ability because David David knew his adversary. 
David knew his armament. David knew his abilities. And David knew his adversary. Uh, in, in David's day, there was light cavalry. There was heavy cavalry. Uh, in David's day, there were bowmen. There were slingers who, who slung the stones. Then there was light infantry. And then there was heavy infantry. Goliath was heavy infantry. I watched a documentary on the armament of soldiers, ancient to modern, in in, in preparation for this lesson. And and soldiers, no matter what the era, no matter what era they've been in, if you were in the army or, or the armed forces, more than likely your pack weighed about 70 pounds. Weighed about 70 pounds. In fact, soldiers throughout have always, no matter what their armament, it's always been about 70 pounds. That's... It's just a good rule of thumb of what can a soldier carry into battle and function. And a heavy soldier at that time, in Goliath's time, weighed about 70 pounds. But Goliath was carrying, it's estimated from numbers given in the Bible, Goliath, he was carrying about 140 pounds into battle. He was a heavy infantryman. No one in modern record keeping has been as tall as Goliath. Go to Guinness Book of World Records as we talked about in class today to see more. But we know there is an abnormality. There's a benign tumor that grows upon the pituitary gland. The cause, as we call it today, it causes giantism. It causes people to be much bigger than they normally would be. And what happens is their joints outgrow uh, outgrow their body, and they have terrible rheumatism, terrible arthritis. Their joints ache also because of that benign tumor on the pituitary gland. They are hard. It's hard for them to see. If Goliath was as big as he was, maybe he had this giantism. Maybe Goliath, he looked bad, he looked mean, but maybe... There was an underlying weakness that everybody else couldn't see. We get a sense of this from the Bible if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, did you notice there he looked about and saw David? Hey, it's just him and David in the valley. Why is he looking about? Notice, uh, notice uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 43. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at, we, come at me with sticks? Remember, David only had one staff. It says he had his sling in the other hand. So maybe Goliath, because of poor eyesight, thought that sling was another stick. We don't know. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 44, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Only at close range could Goliath have the advantage. Only at close range does the David and Goliath metaphor make any sense. This was supposed to be mano a mano. This was supposed to be man against man. Heavy infantry against heavy infantry. Goliath wanted the the Israelites to send out their best fighter, their best infantry man, their best armored up guy. He wanted to fight him. That's not what was sent. David didn't care about what was tradition. That was traditionally what happened. You sent the the same guy against the same guy, but that's not what happened. David didn't care about tradition. David wanted to win. I had a friend in in college when I was at Austin P, and he was a captain in the Army. Uh, He was in the chemical corps. When he got out, he went to school, okay, and this is where I met him. When he got out and went to school, he joined the Army Reserve. 
He was stationed at Fort Campbell, of course, close to Austin B. And uh, he was attached to a, 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 a tank unit. Okay? He didn't know anything about tanks. Hardly anything about tanks. And they had war games at Fort Campbell. And they had these laser things that would shoot, and you'd know who was dead. I don't know how all that works, but you knew who was dead and who wasn't dead. All right? And everybody had guns, and they had the same thing. Big, huge war game. And my friend, his nickname was Frog. I'll call him Frog. Frog got his tanks all together, and guess what he did? He was facing the enemy tank. He got all of his guys out of their tanks, got their anti-tank weapons and hid in the woods. So the guy's coming. He sees Frog's tanks, and Frog shoots him with, with uh, anti-tank weapons. And the guy gets out, hey, that's not fair. This was supposed to be tank against tank. And Frog said, what, do you think the Russians are going to fight fair? David didn't care. David didn't care that, that, that Goliath wanted some, some big guy in armor to come out after him. David knew who was going to win. David wanted to win. Goliath would have had the advantage. And the metaphor would have been truer if it would have been mano a mano. But up close, the giant, uh, he could see David, but he never saw that 100-mile-an-hour fastball coming in. You know, I went to Atlanta to the Braves game once, and I got in the batter's box. You know, they have those batter's boxes outside. And I got in one of those to see what a major league pitch looked like. It was the pitching machine. I just wanted to see if I could hit it, you know. I just wanted to see if I I never saw it. I never saw it. The slings that these guys used were faster than any major league pitcher has ever pitched the ball. Over 100 miles an hour. At close range, it's devastating. Goliath never saw it. Goliath never saw it. And it says, uh, then David, uh, chapter 17, verse 49, then David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. And falling forward like Goliath did proves he was, he was leaning into this fight. And it's interesting to note, I said this in class, it's interesting to note Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, the biblical punishment for blaspheming God was stoning. David gives biblical punishment to Goliath for his blasphemes against the Almighty God. And the seeming disadvantage, the little shepherd versus the big giant, was really a huge advantage. There was one more component that David knew, and this advantage was the biggest advantage of all. And is the main reason David was not an underdog. David knew the Almighty. David, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, when he was anointed by Saul, excuse me, when he was anointed by Samuel and after Saul had been rejected, David had the Spirit of the Lord. And David told Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37, as we've read, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And notice the back and forth between David and Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning with verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, 
earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all of the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. David was, David was no underdog. David had God on his side. Before you face your next giant, you need to know your armament. You need to know your abilities. Do you know your adversary? Do you know him? We'll examine all of these tonight. But knowing your armament, knowing your abilities, knowing your your adversary are really all secondary to knowing the Almighty God, and we can know God now. If you look in your handout, you can see 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. We know God by doing what He says, in other words. He who says, I know Him, I know God, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. God has done his part. For God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And Christ has done his part. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. God has done his part. Christ has done his part. And you are invited this morning to do your part. You're invited this morning to obey the gospel. The gospel is, is, of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So obey the gospel by Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, believing. Because without faith one can't please God. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your old life. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Confess Jesus before others. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do this today and have your sins washed away. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Do this because you love God. Do this because you want to obey God and you want to know God. If you're in Christ, you're not an underdog. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're not an underdog. And when you face your giants, when you face your lions, when you face your bears, there's no need to fear. God is very near. Obey Him now. Know Him now. As together we stand and sing.